Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, we are here for episode 15 of the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater. Just got a little bit of uh, press in the New York Times. I don't know if you saw that, probably not, as you were on a long, long flight. But uh, really excited to have Callum Robinson joining us from where are you coming in from, Callum? This is our furthest connection yet. Yeah, furthest one yet. Um, I am currently in Brisbane, Australia. So on the east coast of Australia, north of Sydney, north of Melbourne, um, on the coast up here the beautiful state of Queensland in their, their capital city, which is called Brisbane. God, and that's, uh, Queensland's one of the areas that was pretty hard hit by those, uh, those forest fires a couple, couple months yeah, ago. Yeah, very much so. This, the whole East Coast was uh, where those, where those uh, sort of bushfires predominated. So everywhere from sort of <clears throat> central Queensland all the way down to southern New South Wales and, in, and into Victoria, and then ahead of west from there. So, yeah, the, it's, been a, uh, it's been a very tough past... 12 months for Australia. So we're, um, we're, we're getting through uh, the worst of it now. But uh, yeah, the bushfires ripped up our, my, my country at the start of this, at the, the end of last year, I should say. So Could this is one of the places that got devastated. As you were flying in, did you still clearly see stuff? Maybe I, you might have been. Nah, <laughs> no, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was absolutely unconscious, passed out my head against, face, faced up against the window. But uh, no, mo- most of those, most of those, um, most of those, the flights that I came in on, I think we touched down at like 6 a.m. or something like that. So no sunlight, but I don't know what route they take. A lot of those fires, they sort of run on the eastern seaboard. And then there's a, um, a strip of like a, a natural forest that runs pretty much down the east coast, sort of inland a bit. And that's where it just uh, caught fire and just ripped through. So uh, a bit out of the way from the city, not so much near the major cities, but um, inland got absolutely devastated. Got it. And you're, you're from Perth, right? Which is closer to, you're, you're right on the ocean. Yeah. Yep. So pretty much all the Australian capital cities are so in close proximity to the ocean, but uh, Perth is certainly pretty much on the beach. So um, yeah, once I finish up quarantine here, I've got a uh, cross country flight, probably pretty close to a, um, a sort of a New York to LA sort of flight um, for people who are, not too familiar with the geography of Australia. So I've got to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, which is uh, where my home is. And uh, fortunately for me, I get to do another quarantine after that. Yeah, so, so explain, so you were, you were living in LA, right? And we'll get, we'll get to kind of your, how, where you ended up, but, but you were living in LA and you decided just with this whole situation, it'd be better to be home in, in Australia with your family. Yeah, yeah, there's, um, you know, long, long story short, there's a, a lot of things and it was a, I'm in an umming and ahhing for, you know, two or three weeks. Um, but my, my younger brother is a doctor. Um, you know, I consulted a lot of medical health professionals and um, I am a, I'm also a type one diabetic as well. So um, I'm in a high, <clears throat> at a higher risk than your average Joe. So um, the way things are sort of moving in America, uh, it didn't make much sense for, for me to continue to hang around um, when I had the option to, to travel home to my home country and you know and then aside from that in a once in a lifetime pandemic i don't want to be too far from my family um you know i've got a mum and a dad and a brother um who i don't get to see all too often and 
Uh, it's been 18 months now since I've seen my family, so I'm very much looking forward to getting home and um, giving them a big hug and um, getting through this together. That's that's kind of the moral of the story. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. I'm sure they're excited to see you. And uh, so you attempted this flight once and got rejected. And <laughs> yeah, is yeah. it worth telling, or is it? Is it... <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's not the first time, but um, last. So I flew out on Friday, and the Friday before I was meant to depart. I was going to connect through Singapore and go directly to Perth. So that was the idea. Um, because the Australian government has mandated that we have to go into quarantine, I wanted to quarantine in my home city. Um, so you have to go into a hotel. They lock you down for two weeks. You have absolutely zero human interactions whatsoever. And then once your 14 days are done, you're sort of allowed to go back out into, into the uh, population and, and uh, assume somewhat of like yeah, that's right. Yeah, wave, my, wave my white flag and walk out through the front door. Uh, but yeah, the, the Singapore government just recently closed their borders as well to, to visitors and then lastly to transit passengers. So, albeit I was going to be in Singapore for, I think it was like three hours and 20 minutes or something. Um, I go to LAX, my two bags are packed, my roommate drops me off, get to the terminal and they, uh, I never made it through. They weren't allowing me to board my plane. So, um, what did that scene look like in the in LAX? Was there was it just desolate in, in your flight? Absolute, absolute go town. Successful absolute flight. Did you have uh, did you have a whole aisle to yourself, or was a was a flight over to Australia actually full? Yeah, no. So the flight was full, but they're still observing social distancing. So a minimum of my flight was a minimum of two seats between passengers. So I actually had a whole row. I had the window seat and a whole row to myself. Um, so which was quite nice. I mean. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimist at the best of times. So a glass half full, I at least got a row to myself, which is, uh, you know, on a, it was, I think it was a 14 and a half hour flight, which is pretty nice. So a nice silver lining there, absolutely. Yeah, I got to kick, kick the legs up and, and catch some Zs. Well, awesome. Let's, let's play some videos and we can talk through it. I, I'm, I'm excited to, to play this first one. I, you know, there's, a, there's another Callum Robinson, I'm sure you know, a soccer player. So I don't know how often you get, you get like mixed up with him, but. Does that yeah. happen very often? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when, exactly what you did, I think. You jump on YouTube, type in Callum Robinson, and, and uh, there's a, there's a Premier, Premier League uh, soccer player who, um, who is uh, stealing my spotlight, should we say. <laughs> well, this one says you're 6'4", 220, so I'm assuming this is actually the Callum Robinson we're looking for. So Yeah, this, this, is, this is very – this is light, Callum. Um, this was my college – application tape that I made never made a video in my life this was to show to my coach um, at Maryland which is originally where I was uh, getting recruited to and then um, obviously coach Canabina Stevenson as well this is the first time I got to put myself in front of coaches so this is uh, drawn from three games only which is filmed on a, a little camcorder that one of my mates dads um, had mind you this is back I think uh, this is probably 2000 and 10 and 2011, but the three games are recorded over. And so, and so, you know, talk a little bit about this. You, you grew up in Perth. What is the lacrosse scene like in Australia when you're growing up? I know, you know, you, you talk a little bit in one of the videos about Adam Sear was a huge influence and he's from Perth originally, I believe. Yeah. But, yeah. We've we actually played for the same club. We're watching right now. So that's me with the ball, just throwing it up. I wore number two, my whole career um, in Australia. And actually, my first national team, I wore number two too, but I've now been wearing number 10 uh, for some time. Adam played at the same club I did. Um, he's about 
three or four years older than me. Um, so he really paved the way for, for um, the opportunity to come over and, and play lacrosse, um, you know, beyond Australia and, and beyond a club level back at home, which is sort of where it peaks out. And um, yeah, certainly without him and, and not only that being an aspiration, but um, like, I, like I alluded to, he played his four years at Maryland. He was helping me get to Maryland. Um, I still have my letter of admission from the University of Maryland. Um, I was a little older when I came over to college. I had some problems with eligibility um, at a Division three level, completely different set of rules. And that's um, sort of how I wound up at Stevenson. And Adam Starr was starting his graduate assistant uh, position at Stevenson that year. So things fell through at Maryland. We figured out D3 was perhaps a route we could pursue. And then three weeks later, I was on a plane coming to America. So had you graduated high school and, and kind of been – were you working for that? Did you have a year or two years between when you went to school and, and when you graduated high school? I actually had – I had almost four years. Oh, uh, wow. Graduated high school. I took a year off. I went and worked for a year and traveled for a year. And then I went back and studied uh, three years of chemical engineering. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that probably had to do that, – that had to impact the eligibility. Oh, look at the bodies flying around out there. Yeah, yeah. We might want to scratch back. I was about to – I was about to – yeah, I lost track there. I haven't seen this tape in some in some time, Mitch. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite little hits right here. Well, so, so, so like, what are, these clubs are all adults. This is all like, like yeah. This is men's league. Yep, this is men's league. There's six teams in my state, so we we're pretty familiar with the guys. Um, yeah, here we go. Bodies come flying. Loose ball, I think. And, right, big uh, number two. Oh yeah, just balls. bouncing through. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, fun for good measure. Um, but yeah, the, the, the game, I think a good way to describe it and the way I like to describe it to a lot of people over here, it's, uh, it's slower. We are, we're only allowed to play with 16 guys per team. So you can only have six on the bench. Um, and that's just a participation rule. We don't have a huge amount of people playing. So it's unfair for, you know, one team to perhaps carry 10 guys and the, another team to be carrying 30. So they cap the number out at 16. I think it slows the game down a little bit, less legs, less fresh legs. And that means it's just a bit more physical too. The ball's not moving as fast. A bit easier to telepath what's going on. And um, certainly they let you be a little bit more liberal with, uh, with bodies and, and late hits. And that's kind of how I grew up playing. And I think uh, that's still very much existent in my game to this day, I think. I don't know anything about big hits. Or... Yeah, no, I was going to say, I'm talking to the right man. <laughs> uh... And, and, and so, and so like, do most of these guys that are – so you guys play in the – I mean, the seasons are opposite, right? Your, your spring is our fall and vice versa. Correct, do, yep. Do most guys play, like, Australian rules football and lacrosse? Like, is that a big crossover? So I played, I played that my whole life growing up, um, and then I had to pick when I got to an adult because they actually play – we actually play it the same – with the same season. So they're both, they're both winter sports. Got it. So up until I was – 17 years old I would play lacrosse on Saturday usually two games I'd play my junior division then I'd play up and play adults men's league I played two games and then on Sunday I play football so um it, it got a little bit too much when I you know was getting close towards 18 and um you know asking for a, a um a bit more of a demand from both from both those sports it was too hard to time manage with you know a, a full-time university to, um degrees in to mix into that stuff too so I had to pick and choose and interesting story I actually uh chose football I wanted to pursue football professionally and, and see how far I could take it I think I played half a season um 
and then I got sort of halfway through it and that's where my love for the sport of lacrosse really blossomed. I think uh, going away from the game as a 17-year-old for six months, um, I really saw how much I missed it and how much I really did have an affinity for the sport. And there I wanted to, um, it was really my decision-making to come to America was sort of that point in time was if I'm going to go back to lacrosse, then I want to see how far I can take this sport. I think I missed look, this one. Just a little offensive wizardry. Oh, look at the guy the guy behind the cage. He he just assumes you're scoring. He starts cheering. Yeah. <laughs> He's, He's getting ready to sell it. That's yeah. Cal. He's going in. This is this is happening. Nice save. I tell you what. By the keeper. I, I, oh, yeah, it's a nice little oh. <laughs> I think a, a little shin save right there. <laughs> I think I was there. So this this was the uh this was like our equivalent of our state uh, our state championship. And then this is uh, the next two games, I believe. Uh, under 20, I played in an under-23 Australian team in an ASPAC tournament, it's called. So it's Asian Pacific. We have like New Zealand, Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, ourselves. We had a USA West team, I think, which is the next game. Um, so this was the following year. I know this was 2011. We were over in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, and I, I'm wearing number two here, too. You'll see me. Going around somewhere. Is this um, a shortened fee? Is this a short? Are they just doing it? Oh, this is the international rule, so they have the random face-offs, right? Random face-off. Yeah, yeah. So for everyone watching, when there's like a dead ball or a, uh, the referees can't decide on, you know, there might have been a ball roll out of bounds and no one knows who it's off, or there's a incidental contact or a false call. The way they sort of designate the possession is they just uh, wherever the ball went or wherever the play happened, they put two guys down and you face off. Personally, I love that rule. And they do that in the NLL every now and then if the ball gets under the carpet or goes out and they don't know it's off. But I love it. It's like a, it's like a quick restart, you know, and it, as, as opposed to AP, you know. It's like, and it's also it turns into a bloodbath because everyone's like 10 yards, but there's no real lines. So. There's no lines. There's no wings. There's no nothing. It is an absolute bloodbath. I'm a big fan of them because as soon as that whistle goes, you have almost 10 guys across, over the top of the ball. Yeah. So it's um, exactly what you said. It's a, it's a, it's a bloodbath almost instantaneously. Speaking of bloodbath, Jesus. Is that Team Japan it looks like you guys That's are playing? Team Japan. This is Japan, yeah. And no mercy there. I don't know if you – did you see the uh, video of Max Seabold from this past, uh, this past World Games running through about five players from Japan? He's bull dodging. Have you seen that one on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. And, and Max, Max looks like a bull in a china shop in that video. Yeah. Absolutely destroying him. Well, so I, could, I have I have so much admiration for the Japanese lacrosse players. Uh, you know they're they typically undersized, but um, they do not shy away from um, some contact and putting their head over the ball. And uh, I think when they come into the international stage and and play, you know, the likes of the Blue Division and the World Games, they are <laughs> they're quickly reminded that they are uh, a little bit undersized and. Uh, they don't – when I was over there in October. Um, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, the passion that they, they share for the sport is, like, it's unbelievable, right? They're unbelievable. So uh, absolutely unbelievable. There's another little lick. It, it, I mean, just it, – it's so cool. You know, I, I've gotten the opportunity to travel to some cool places because of lacrosse, but being where you are in Australia, it seems like you've gotten so many opportunities really around the world. You know, I, I, so – Tell me about some of the cool places you've gotten to see. It's it's you're in New Zealand, which is next door to Australia, but then you talked about some of these Asian countries. You've been to Japan now. Talk about a little bit about some of these places you never would have gone to without lacrosse. 
yeah, I mean, lacrosse has taken me, I mean, literally I have moved my life uh, across the world. So you know, now I reside in America and have been for the last seven years. So lacrosse has opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, I'm an absolute travel fiend. I'm addicted to uh, getting on a plane, going to a new city, new place, and trying different things. Um, it's been a passion of mine since I was 12 years old. Our, our family moved over um, to London, England, and we uh, spent eight months over there, went to school over there, and started traveling the world and, and fell in love with it. And um, I think that was one of the big selling points for lacrosse for me too as well, is you know, the idea of being able to use this sport as a, um, as a vessel for travel and a vessel for adventuring. Um, it's certainly been nothing shy of that. I go every year now. I go to um, Japan um, with with uh, whoever the affiliate is that's um, taking the guys over there. I go to Hawaii every year with um, Team Wimmer, who play over there. Um, we do obviously so much traveling with the PLO and and the uh, and the MLL too. Prior to that, um, but yeah, I mean the. the now I'm coaching high school in LA too. So, you know, we're, uh, we're fortunate enough to play games up in San Francisco. We play games out in Dallas. Um, so all around America, I mean, lacrosse is open. I think I've, I think I'm up to about uh, 43 States now in America that I've been to and seen. Oh, wow. So I think probably 30 of them are some way related to lacrosse. So uh, it opens a lot of doors for me and, and, and all those kids watching. I mean, it's a big selling point for me. Um, lacrosse is a, um, a, a a blueprint for world travel that's incredible and and t- talk a little bit so so you know you mentioned adam sear kind of guided you through the process he ended up going to stevenson was like i'm bring, i'm bringing callum to stevenson and and i'm sure he was like this is like the biggest steal of the century right getting you there and then you guys immediately had success right you started it it was 2012 your freshman year or 2013 because you won a national yeah, 20... championship within your first or second year yeah, my, my first season, um, 2013. So I arrived in the fall of 2012, and then um, 2013. We so my first uh, my first collegiate season, we won a national championship. Actually, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good way to uh, to break it in and, and talk about just. I'll play just a couple clips of this video. It's long, um, but this is like this is Tufts versus Stevenson, 2015. I mean, that, you got the highlighter yellow jerseys. You got the flames for the intro. Oh yeah, this must, this must have been your senior season, right? 2015. Yes, yes, this is my senior season. So I only I actually only played three years of college across. So was that based on eligibility or based on you being like 32 years old by the time you? Got yeah. <laughs> I actually graduated in three years, so I was out of there. <laughs> Uh, I've graduated with a chemistry degree in three years, so I got out of there. I didn't need to stay around. Um, so you, do you have two degrees then, one back from Australia and one, one in the U.S.? Yeah, I actually never finished off my engineering degree in Australia. Um, so I have a year remaining. Um, so originally I was coming to Maryland to continue my engineering degree and finish that off over there. And then uh, when I went to Stevenson, we, they didn't have an engineering department. So naturally I went and uh, started doing chemistry as I was studying chemical engineering already. Unlucky, unlucky start here on this one. Great, yeah, it's a great tough knockdown. one. Great knockdown. What a finish here. The baseball bat kind of knock in. And that guy who threw the ball right there, uh, John Upgren, number 13 for Tufts. Yeah, great player, man. lefty from Minnesota. Um, he played a, he played on a couple of teams. I think he, he played on the Cannons for a little while. Yeah, Uppy on the Cannons. Yeah, Uppy's a, Uppy's a great guy. So um, there's, we used to play – I mean, that's the beauty about Stevenson. We used to – Coach Cannonbeam would – schedule absolutely everyone and anyone we would play anyone in the country that wanted to play us so we got to play some big games consistently on a, on a weekly basis um 
Tufts would come down. We'd play them every Tuesday uh, on their spring break. Every year they'd come to our stadium. And it was always a huge game. They're a phenomenal program. And they have been for some time. And uh, we used to battle with them relentlessly every oh, year. Look at that helmet's flying off. Yeah, there was no there was no love lost between these two programs. I can guarantee you that. And 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 talk the stadium was it was the stadium redone? When was that? Your junior or senior year? No, so the stadium was there uh, like two years before I got there. Oh, nice. Uh, it was, okay. It was the old it was the old Ravens training facilities. So that's right. Everything, all all the all the facilities, athletic facilities, the stadium itself, um, the PT area, everything like that is all uh, Ravens affiliated stuff so it's um to say top notch is probably being a um a bit modest uh his his meat is getting beat off ball <laughs> we'll, so we'll fast forward a little bit we'll go towards the end here yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh we, uh, we we lost this game i know we did but um yeah the, the, these are the games i mean you know this is this is why I moved my life across the world, and, and you know I couldn't be more thankful for the for the university, and they continue to this day, Stevenson, uh, to schedule some really tough games and, and any big opponents in in the entire Division Three athletics who want to come play us or, or want to schedule us, we will uh, find a way to play you. So that's yeah, there you go, twelve twelve eighteen. Um, you know that that for me is sort of you know I'm just a competitor um, in, in the pure essence of the word. So. I want to get out. I want to play the best guys, win or lose. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Coach Kennedy made that happen on a weekly basis. And uh, it made me a better lacrosse player for sure. This awesome. is a throwback. This is a, here's, a young, here's a young Callum Robbins. I think this is, this is the 2014 World Games right here, right? Yeah. Bully and Lyle there. Yeah, Bully and Lyle. Robin Robin Robin. I was, this was uh, – Robin, Robin Mundy. I think that's the first time you and I faced off was in 2014 over in uh, Denver. Although yep. I, stayed, yeah. I stayed on my very far back on my half of the field, I think you, for the most part, stayed on your half of the field. I was gonna, I was gonna say I didn't want to get close, too close to you either. <laughs> uh, MJ Post, yeah, are you a big MJ fan? A big MJ fan. So yeah, you've been watching M the Last Dance, obviously. Yeah, I actually haven't. So we got um, two weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, I was for one, I was traveling, and then two, we don't have ESPN um, like you guys do. So I've got to find a way to stream it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually probably going to when we get off this call, um, do a little bit of jailbreaking and, and find a way to get into ESPN's backroots and, and watch that tonight. I think. Yeah, that's I have, I have to see it. I've been like scrolling through Instagram and social media and just almost flicking past every post because I don't want <laughs> I don't I don't want anyone to ruin it for me. But um for alert. Every, Michael Jordan's really good. So sorry. Yeah. I might have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the was it a big adjustment coming like, you know, you went to college in Australia. Was going to Stevenson a major adjustment for you? I don't know, and it's funny. I've played with a couple of Australian guys. I don't know if you know Wes Green. Um, yeah, I know Wes. Yep. And, and Longman, who's out in LA. I'm sure you've run into him. Yeah. Yep. Two dads. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 of course, you know, like I don't know. Is there like this dream of playing in America? I'm sure it sounded like it started later in your career because you were thinking football first. But but what you know what is what was the adjustment like coming from Australia to to the U.S. Yeah, a big adjustment. I'll, so university for in Australia is purely an education and, and that's all. Coming out of high school, I probably had half of my friends 
um, went straight out into the workforce and then half of them went to university. We don't play any college athletics. We don't play any university athletics. You don't live on campus. I used to drive 45 minutes every day, go and get an education, drive 45 minutes home and then rinse and repeat. Um, so there's not so much of that community um, feeling like you do get in the colleges over here. You know, one of the biggest things I noticed was just a, um, a, a pride factor. Everyone is so, um, so, pr so proud of what university they went to, what college they went to, where they come from, the people they've met, their alumni base, everything of that nature. Um, we don't have that same sort of thing in Australia. The um, adjustment factor coming over to America was, um, it was pretty steep to start. I, I think there's a lot of comparisons between the two countries, but also at the same time, there's a, a lot of stark um, differences. So it took me a little while to get settled in, but um, you know, I obviously had Adam there with me, um, someone who'd been doing this for five or six years before I had. So he helped me sort of, um, you know, jump, jump through the hurdles as, as they came. And um, everyone at the, everyone at the college at Stevenson was um, very, very accommodating. And um, I certainly couldn't have done it without them. Did you have like one, can you remember like one moment where you're like, Oh wow, this is, this is different. <laughs> like one standout moment when you got to, when you got to Stevenson or America that you're like, this is, this is not like home. Yeah. I think, um, I think, uh, walking into, uh, cause so I'd never, I'd never, ever, I'd never even been to America. I got off a plane and I was three weeks late for school. Um, that was my first, that was my first time in America. So it was, everything was sort of coming at me in a hurry. Um, I think the first thing was just walking onto college, seeing the athletics, seeing the stadium, you know, we've got a 5,000 seat stadium. It's X Ravens facilities. Um, you know, I'd watched a lot of videos obviously before I'd got on the plane and sort of knew what I was getting into, but, when you step out in that atmosphere and I think, you know, our fall practices, we carried the biggest roster in, in lacrosse, in college lacrosse for about three years. You know, we had almost 90 guys in the fall and our spring roster was like 72. So we had a lot of guys. I think that first spring practice when walking out in the stadium, everyone's in their brand new pennies and equipment and we got 70 something guys on the turf. That was sort of where I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, this is, um, this is a little different. You know, I don't think, I don't even think we have 70 guys who play in my States. Were you nervous about, you know, locking in your spot? Did you feel, did you have confidence? You're like in a whole new world. There's 70 other guys. I got to imagine. I mean, you're not, you're not any, any, uh, small, like, like meek and mild guy, but at the same time, the nerves got to be going a little bit, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, you know, it was, it was a big investment on my behalf, both financially and both time. And, you know, I was pausing my engineering degree in Korea. Um, so I had every intention of playing and I wanted to play and I wanted to make that happen, make the opportunity worth, worth the time that I was forfeiting. Um, we had, they had, I came in and joined the team. They had uh, two senior defensemen and the third defenseman who was the starter for the prior year um, actually dropped out of college. Uh, he ended up, starting uh, a family. So he, um, he had some things that were pulling him away from school. So there was a third um, defensive spot on the open. I'd actually never played close defense until I got to Stevenson. I had always played um, LSM my whole life. And I saw that the opportunity to get on the field was at the close defensive position. Um, and so that's where I sort of devoted my time and my effort and um, fortunate enough to win that spot. And I started every game in my college career uh, all three years and um, 
that first year, especially, we had a, uh, a very group, a very special group of men. Uh, and we were able to go on and s secure the championship that year. And I think um, I I'd always allowed myself one year of college across. And I said, you know, let's, let's risk it for a year. And we can always come back. And, um, you know, I I'm not, I'm not leaving any stone unturned. Um, I can obviously resume my studies. I put them on hold for a year if, if, if everything went south. That first year was just so contagious. Um, it's much better you know, winning, than that. Winning the yeah, whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I had the parents over there for it. And it was sort of just a, um, you know, Adam's parents were over there too as well. So we got to share a ring together. And it was, it was an absolute um, collision of just good things all coming together at a, um, a, a an absolute beautiful time. And, um, yeah, from, from then on, I knew that I was destined to play lacrosse for a long time in America, uh, whether it be at college and, and hopefully afterwards. But um, the love for the sport was at an all-time high right then. So I knew... Who are, some of the, who are some of the studs on that championship team? Is Jimmy Daly still there for that team? No, nah, no Jimmy Daly. Um, I don't think... He's one, of, he's one of the all-time greats. I don't know if you've gotten to know Jimmy through the alumni network. but I mean, Yeah, no, I know, I, know, I know Jimmy very well. His change of direction, unlike anything I've ever seen. So we actually, the, my first fall, we're playing and we always play like an alumni game. So, you know, the, the two seniors that I'm playing with, they're like, well, they kind of knew who Jimmy was. I had no idea, right? He's, <laughs> his name's, he's, yeah, his name's up on the wall. I'm like, oh, he's that guy. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea what, what this guy is. I've seen him in a couple of videos. I know he's short and sharp and shifty. The two, the two seniors are like, yeah, you can, uh, you can guard him. I was like, all right, yeah, sure. That'd be, yeah, fun. I remember him taking the ball the first time, and I just went, <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? You look like Flash out there behind the cage. But uh, I managed to hold my own just fine after that. But um, Jimmy's, <laughs> Jimmy's a very talented. They had, they had a lot of talented um, attackmen before that. Steve Kazmier, Jimmy Daly, Richie Ford. Um, you know, these guys were you know, three-time, four-time All-Americans. And... I played with a couple of absolute rippers too, Mark Pannington, Steve Bannock. Um, and then, you know, I graduated with Tony Rossi. He got drafted in the MLL. Uh, Brent Hyken, yeah. he got drafted in the MLL. They were all on that championship team with me. Um, I forgot about Brent Hyken there. Yeah, that's helpful to have him at the X, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our championship year, he was like above 70% or something. It was like a cheat code. So... <laughs> You'll t we'll take that for sure. Brent Brent's is still a very good friend of mine. So um, yeah, shout out to Brent Hyken. I saw him at the U.S. Lacrosse Convention, and uh, String King was giving away the hockey sticks, and I, I missed out on him. And and Brent hooked me up with one, so he's got a special place in my heart ever since that. My, my hey, there you go, Brent. Yeah, everyone's sitting around a hockey stick in our basement because of that. <clears throat> He's, he's, um, he's buying he's buying the love. Exactly. <laughs> and so so. Let's let's jump over to the Australian national team. You've now played in two world games, right? Correct me if I'm yep. wrong. So yeah, 14, right. 14 was your first, and that was <clears throat> that was while you were still at Stevenson, right? Still in Stevenson, yeah. I went back for my last year after that. Yep. And then and then this most recent time over in Israel with the this is some highlights from from that time. But talk a little bit about that experience and kind of how the how the Australian team rallies and what what that vibe is like. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know as, as well as I do that there's there's no bigger pride in the world than, you know, being able to put on your country's jersey and, and go out and, you know, hear that national anthem before the game and, and don your don your country's colours and, and get out there and play um, you know, in front of your crowd and fans and 
uh, represent your country in that matter. So um, it was, you know, I, I do, I do not, um, I do not under underestimate the importance of of representing my country, and um, I certainly hold that uh, very dear to my heart. But the Australian team is a very tight knit group of guys. I think the guys who are at the top level of lacrosse in Australia have been there for some time and continue to play um, at that level in their own clubs, their own states. Um, so we are, we're a pretty tight knit group of guys. We just have a funny way of going about things. You know, we're, we're very, we're very Australian as, as cliche as that may sound. So we're um, a very jovial, happy go lucky bunch of guys. Um, you know, we're aware that, you know, just purely based off our, you know, exposure to the game and, and, and how much we play the sport. But we, we're not going to be matched up stick skill wise, as well as, you know, the, the US, the Canada, the Iroquois and, and countries of that matter. Um, but something we do take pride in is, is toughness, fitness, um, grit, you know, those sort of intangibles. There's a little toughness here, just absolutely laying the hammer down on Robbie Pinnell there. Yeah, I, love, I, I call this one, so I call this one uh, the skull crusher. I throw this quite often. So you do the, the fake and then come over the head, kind of get down. Yeah, the usually, side. usually a couple, usually a couple hard slashes, and that attackman will start bringing his stick back. Rob, Rob saw me coming down with one. He'd had a couple already in that game, I think. He saw me coming down, looking for that bottom hand, and his stick starts to come back behind his helmet. So, That's skull amazing. crusher because as you're coming down for that slash, I like to just whip it back up over the helmet and sort of just take a little bit of paint off, and then take that stick out the back of his hands. As a, as a bigger guy, you know, Rob's a pretty physical dodger. As a bigger guy, do you prefer the more physical, bigger dodgers, or do you like the shifty guys that you can kind of manhandle a little bit more? Yeah, no, I certainly like the uh, the the bit more physical, um, bigger imposing dodgers, the the Pinnells, the Rambos, the, uh, the Reeves, the, the guys who were a little less shifty suit me a bit better. But, um, you know, we don't often get to pick and choose. So I'm sort of – that's been a big point of emphasis for me uh, this off-season was um, being able to quicken up my feet a little bit, get a little lighter, get a little faster. Um, I think I'm always going to be able to play those guys type of well. But um, the Jordan Wolfs and, um, you know, the Marcus Holmans and the, the Woolmannies and the guys who are, you know, very, very fast left and right, uh, they're the guys I'm trying to match up with a little bit better in the coming seasons. Yeah, I don't know anyone who can really cover Jordan Wolf. So if you find that person, <laughs> or you find yeah, the technique, didn't I? Did you? Been, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I've been saying for a number of years. I think Jordan is the hardest cover in the world. Um, that guy is just. Free. If he gets the ball off the end line, <laughs> you know, watch out. Start sending a slide because um, he's both fast and strong, and that's a tough combination. <laughs> yeah, and very tough. Very tough. He, he does he does not shy away from getting hits. Uh, he loves it actually. And, and did you did you match up with uh, Junior? Have you gotten any opportunities? Because that's one that he always gave me so much trouble. He's so big and uses body so well and absorbs contact. But man, he can also shoot from GLE and shoot behind the back around the world. So he just I'm in a lot of John Grant Junior highlight tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was a bit lucky. I think uh, Junior was on his was on his way out as I was on my way up. So. Um, I, I remember matching up. Drew him quite a bit. Yeah, I think. I remember matching up on. I remember playing him in uh, distinctly in one MLL game, and um, just exactly what you said, right? There's there's certain guys in in, in international lacrosse and um, US lacrosse for that matter too, and pro lacrosse that just do some sort of things that you can't practice. You can't you can't practice defending. You can't emulate what they're doing. You can't simulate, you know, how they're dodging or how they throw their passes or whatever. 
Junior is is the epitome of that type of guy, right? He does some things where you are just scratching your head being like, that should not work. This should not go. That pass should not make it. That goal should not go in. Um, so sometimes you just got to really just step back. And, and that's kind of the beauty of, you know, being in the upper echelon of our sport is you know, sometimes you got to step back and just, you know, sort of flip your hands over and say, hey, you, you got the better on me that time. Uh, I'm going to come back to you next time. And um, Junior, Junior was... Uh, Junior's a great guy. I know, I know Junior uh, fairly well, and um, I've got to know him uh, a lot better over the last couple of years, and um, i got all the time well for that man. And uh, I've probably watched more Junior highlights than anyone else. I think uh, I watched Junior play. Uh, I remember distinctly the first time I ever saw the sport across, 2002, the World Games were in Perth, Australia. And that's how I got into the sport. Um, I, started playing, I started playing lacrosse that year. I went to the world championships in my backyard and, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of ceiling of lacrosse in Australia that I was talking about before, you know, there's not so much room to grow and, and we don't have the, you know, the really professional or, or developed leagues like they do over this side. Um, I got to watch these guys play in my backyard and I remember watching junior play in the uh, gold medal game in Perth and I'm watching this guy, the way he moved his stick and the way he moved his body. And in 2002, junior was a bit different to, uh, to the junior that, you know, I remember matching up with um, in, in later world games. But, um, but that guy was sort of one of the reasons that I sort of went, oh, wait, there's, there's a lot more to this sport than meets the eye. You've got people out here doing this sort of wizardry with their sticks, and I was hooked. It was a, it was a love affair at first sight. That's, that's incredible. Well, I, I, I won't uh, – you talked about, you know, getting on highlight tapes. I won't bring up the, the most recent highlight tape. If you want to make any statement, I think, I think you know where I'm going. I won't pull up the video, but if you want to make any <laughs> statement about it, now is the time. Yeah, nah, no, no statement. No comment. Um, <laughs> no comment. I've, uh, yeah, hey, that's – you know just as well as I do, Mitch, right, and in our position, we're usually on the bad end of the highlight tapes. I, that my so, highlight well, tape, is, or yeah, yeah, exactly. You you make a lot of other people's. Like I said, I'm on a lot of John Grant Junior highlights, and it's not pretty for me. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. Typically, you just you know, you know, people are more amazed by the uh, you know the stick fake or the behind the back goal than they are about like, oh, that guy really fell for that one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. They they don't they don't care too much for the fundamental approaches and the poke checks. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, hey, that that um, you know, hats off to Connor. That was a great player last year, and. Um, uh, it's certainly been uh, something that's been boiling under my skin for uh, <laughs> some time. So I'd be lying if I said it hasn't given me a lot of motivation this off season. And um, I'll be I'll be the first one to put my hand up and ask for that Fields matchup next year. Love it, love hearing that. There you heard it here first. That's a great that's a great statement. Okay, I want to bring up one thing before we get into the speed round. Um, I just want to share your Instagram feed here. This is back, let's see when, what year this was. This is in 2017. If you scroll through, I'm seeing a lot of pictures, a lot of shirts on, okay? <laughs> MLL years, shirt on, some sleeveless, you know, but then- I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> still a shirt, look, you're at the, oh, that's, that might be your dad. That's my dad, yeah. There's a shirt off, but you're at the beach. That's, that's fair, that's right? In, that's in Israel. In Israel, okay, great. And then let's, oh, here we go. This one, again, this is a little, okay, we got the PLL days now. Now you got the Atlas jersey on. There's one, yeah. oh, one where you and Paul Rabel are together. I think he's whispering in your ear like, hey, just start taking some, come, come out here to LA, start taking some. And then 
And then it's just, once you get past this first couple weeks of the PL, now it's just, here we go. Can't find, can't find, a, can't find a shirt on this guy. Oh, there we go. This is, the, this is the stuff we're talking about. Now shirtless workouts are the norm here. So, hey, I, blame, I, blame, I blame Kyle Hartzell for the influence. Okay, Hartzell's the one. one uh, yeah, my um, roommate in LA sort of, he, he, he taught me all the bad habits like uh, skipping laundry day and don't worry about wearing a shirt. <laughs> and Paul, 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 Paul's, uh, Paul's, Paul's equally a bad influence. So, uh, hey, I say, I say to everyone, I'm out in LA, Southern California. That's, that's the standard attire out there. Shorts and flip-flops, man. That's it. That's all you need pretty much 365 days a year. So. Yeah, no better place, no better place to be shirtless. Now, where are you guys living? Are you in Santa Monica? No, I'm uh, down in Redondo. So we're in uh, the South Bay. Yep. So like Manhattan, Hermosa area. Yeah, I lived in Hermosa. The LA Riptide, when I first came out of uh, school, had a team. I lived in Hermosa. I was on uh, Monterey. So I love, I love that area. Yeah, South Bay's phenomenal. So uh, I got, I got to admit, these shirtless picks are bringing me back a little bit to, to the day. There you go, right? There you go. Two blocks. I, I appreciate it as much as it's, I. It's, it's, it's amazing what a good camera can can do to the body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, physically, you've always been a big, strong guy. Clearly, played sports, but it seems like you've really invested even more so in in you know your your workouts and being the best player you can be. You talked about preparing for more quick shifty guys like what has that transformation been like or is it just like hey now I have the ability and the time to really focus on being a full yeah player. I think it's probably equal parts both um I, I really you know last season the PLO um was a, a phenomenal experience but um I certainly wanted a, a bit more of a a, a a permanent staple on our defense and you know there's a couple of things I addressed this offseason um that I wanted to change personally you know, to help secure um, that position for me in 2020. And um, one of those was losing weight. And for a couple of reasons, you know, I've, I've been burdened with injuries the last couple of years. And I think a lighter body is a little less taxing and uh, a little bit easier to preserve. To move the, you can move around a bit easier with less weight. Um, obviously, I, I, I fancy my speed, but I think my quickness needs to get a little bit um, better. So I'm trying to get that first step pop. Um, and I work with, I've been working with Jay Dyer, um, for the last four years. And I got involved with another trainer out in LA this past year, um, Doug Gizzy, uh, zone ready on Instagram. And both those guys have been a phenomenal resource and being able to take to someone, Hey, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to move like this. I want to be this light. I want to be, and they tailor my whole workouts, um, seeing the productivity come from, you know, the time that you invest, uh, off and away from the field you know, turning into, you know, on-field results, it's easy to justify putting in the work, right? So if you can see it happening, you can see the results coming, you can see yourself getting faster and your hands getting better and your stick getting better, um, it's a no-brainer from there on. So um, I think being in a house with our hearts all this past off-season was huge. Um, you know, getting to train with someone who's on my team, who plays the same position I do, you know, we're doing everything uh, pretty much aligned, and pushing ourselves he's as psychotic as i am when it comes to the training regiments uh, we have a lot of fun challenging ourselves every day on on that side and um i'm just you know i, I just uh i understand that you know nothing's giving everything everything's earned and, that, and that's sort of been you know since my first day at stevenson trying to get that starting defensive position um all the way up until now right so as soon as you come complacent or as soon as you take your foot off the gas um 
then everything's sort of downhill from there. So I love, I love the grind. I love, I look forward to the off season. I look forward to putting in that work and I pride myself on being able to work as hard, if not harder than anyone else in the league. And um, I believe that the results will show. And uh, unfortunately this season sort of been put on hold, but no doubt my body will be ready to go when we uh, when we get the green light to play. Well said and, and definitely words that uh, kids who are watching this and, and whether they're in, you know, Topeka, Kansas or, or Perth, Australia can, can, I think it's an awesome, your, your story of like, Hey, hard work. And it doesn't matter where you're from. If you have the opportunity and you seize that opportunity, you can take that to the highest levels. So I, I personally, you know, I've been impressed to see you from afar and it's, it's kind of cool getting to know you a little bit over the years and now more so this. Um, so I, I, I definitely appreciate that. And I think it's wow. just many thanks, man. All right, Cal, we've got some quick, quick hitters here. We'll, we'll, we'll finish off with a few uh, kind of best of the best here. What, what, can you name your best lacrosse memory? National championship. That's, that's pretty, yeah, it seems like a pretty easy yeah. one there. How about I was, I was going to go fetch my ring before I actually brought my ring back to Australia this time. So yeah, there's no, no doubt in my mind that that will be forever a special place in my, in my heart until I win the next one. There you go. Um, and then, and then how about most influential person in, in your life lacrosse wise? Lacrosse-wise, uh, got to be Adam Sear. Yeah, Adam was, you know, someone who played at my club in Australia, someone who brought me to America, um, someone who helped me go on and play collegially, someone who, you know, pointed me in the right direction the entire time he was around me. So um, not only that, but, you know, prior to Adam even having a really touching influence on my lacrosse career, he was, you know, one of the first guys since, you know, people that you, you were talking about before, Wes Green, the Gordon... Purdy's, Matt Schomburg, since those guys, he was the first one of my generation to go over to the States and to make a difference and to have an impact on college across. And for guys like myself, you know, three or four years, uh, the junior of Adam, I was able to see him doing it and it just, um, it, it, it flicked a switch for me. So there is no one that's had a bigger influence on my lacrosse career than, um, than Adam. Very well. And he's, uh, he's with Michigan coaching women's now. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, there's actually the, the Michigan's women team have Hannah Nielsen, who's the head coach. She's an Australian from Adelaide. Right. And, and Adam Sear, the, um, an, an Australian. Obviously, the man I was just talking about, he's the assistant. All those girls are going to start playing with an accent out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, we got, we got a few girls. You got, obviously, Jen Adams, uh, one of my favorite humans of all time. I live Right? Some of the best have come from Australia on the women's game. Yeah, I mean, Jen and, Jen and Hannah uh, are sort of the state, the, the, the pride and joy of Australian lacrosse, men's and women's. So the, no one has done more than those two at a college level. Uh, unfortunately, the women's professional game isn't as established as the men's. But um, from a college level, I mean, those two girls paved the way for not only Aussies, but just females playing the sport of lacrosse. And I think they still hold a ton of records, respectively. And they've both got Twarton trophies sitting in their houses, and many of them. And um more importantly to me they are just phenomenal human beings so jen i lived i lived with jen for uh three and a half years in baltimore um so i know jen very very well she's one of my very close friends and and hannah is right up there with her too as well i've got got to know hannah since my first year in america and um yeah i couldn't have more time in the world for those two they're phenomenal you got who else the australian is sonia uh head coach at towson she's an aussie 
Uh, Australians stick together. Huh? It's definitely uh, it, it's oh, yeah. a knit community. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really cool to see. And you talk about the lacrosse community being small, and then you make that even more narrow by bringing the, the Australians over to America. It's definitely a tight knit crew, which is cool. Yeah, really cool. Uh, I think every year we do uh, we do Aussie Thanksgiving because we don't we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Australia. It's not a holiday, um, so we don't have any families in America. None of us. So we always fly to a respective city of where, of where one of us Aussies is living. Uh, we've done a couple up in Michigan. We've done a couple out in LA. We've done, uh, Hannah used to coach a Boulder out in Colorado. We've done a couple out there. We've done ones in um, Baltimore. So um, we certainly like to, uh, to keep our group uh, nice and tight and we get together on a consistent basis. But the Aussie lacrosse community in America is a, um, is a real thing. And we got a big, big heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Aussie Thanksgiving everything we would imagine? Like, uh, you know, boomerang contests and Vegemite eating sandwiches. Vegemite sandwiches. <laughs> is that like what you guys do? Or you, go, you go the American Thanksgiving route. That's exactly it. Exactly. All, all of what you said and more, man. That's Talking it. About the, you know, repeat. <laughs> yeah. Shrimps on the barbie. <laughs> um, yeah, no how about most influence or, or best teammate if you had to pick one best teammate across your entire your entire career playing lacrosse Ooh, that is a tough one and i think when i get off this call i'm probably gonna have like five or six answers that i could have said but someone who i had known uh, of but didn't have an opportunity to play with him until last year uh one of my favorite individuals in the entire sport of lacrosse being able to share a locker room with him last year, and he's actually going to be on our coaching staff this year, uh, Stephen Brooks. That man is an absolute legend. Um, one of the best human beings in the entire world, let alone lacrosse. Uh, I've got all the time in the world for that man. Um, we got to spend um, some pretty quality time together last season. And um, I think just being on, um, you know, a, a, a recent memory, Brooksy is... Um, hands down one of the best teammates I've ever had the fortunate um, experience of sharing a locker room in a field with. Yeah, he's, he's one of my all-time favorite shout-outs, Stephen Brooks, Trouser Press 3000. He'll know. He'll know. <laughs> uh, oh, I love yeah, he's a great guy, great person. Great that, guy. that definitely great guy. the team, the teammate aspect. How about uh, on-field nemesis over the years? Is there one guy that you're just like, ugh, that you're like your you're, you're arch, you're arch nemesis? Oh, I think um, like me, me and Rob, me and Rob used to go at it a little bit. Um, we're we're, we're going to be teammates now. I've got to row, I've got to know Rob uh, a lot more intimately over the last few years. His younger brother James is one of my best friends. Um, but I think, right? you guys are Blaze teammates. Yeah, Blaze teammates, and uh, he played on Atlas last year. James did too. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, um, but. Uh, I think that stemmed from 14 when we, when we were playing you guys in um, in Denver. Uh, there was a there was a lot of chatter between uh, me and Rob down down on that end of the field, and I think he was my cover the first game. And then I think we played my first MLL season. He was my cover again, and then that sort of just bred into a uh, a little bit of and um, uh, yeah, a, a good rivalry, should we say? You know, but, uh, Rob, you get to know the guy, right? It, it starts absolutely. with a pure hate, and then you get to know him. You're like, all right, well, I re respect where he's coming from, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 a great way of putting it. I think uh, you know, not knowing someone, and having to compete against them, it's really easy to hate them. 
and then you sort of take the helmet off, peel back the layers, and um, he's a quality human and got all, all the time in the world for Rob. But, um, yeah, we certainly used to have some good jewels. All right, so Nemesis, Rob Pinnell, you know, current hit list like, like Connor Fields is, is trying to climb the charts right now. I like that. Oh, he's, he'd be, he'd be, <laughs> there, there's no one close to Connor right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob's, Rob's my team. Rob, Rob's my teammate now. So I got all the love in the world for that man. Good point. All right, I'm very, so, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with that. I do not have to cover Rob anymore because he's a yeah. He's so a, he's a, nickname is a Big Koala. I think you know it, it's it's not like a huge surprise. If you had to, if you could pick any other nickname for yourself, we'll end on this one. If you could pick any other nickname for yourself, what would you go with? Um. Did you you didn't because you didn't pick Big Koala, did you? No. <laughs> where did that where did that come from? Uh, so the when we were when we were getting ready for the fourteen World Games, I wasn't in Australia. I was in college in America, um, and I think the team was doing some press and doing some interviews, and they were asking about me and, and whatnot. Um, and they had a photo at one of the training grounds, and there was a like a large koala statue. I don't know where this place was in like rural Victoria. Um, and they like tagged me in the photo and then, um, it sort of just blew up from there. And so all of a sudden, I, I remember, I remember finishing the first game. We played Japan, the first game in Denver. I remember finishing the first game, get back to the hotel. Mind you, we had, we were the last game to play. We had a lightning delay. So we get back at like, yeah, there you go. We get back at like. <laughs> wasn't this photo, it's, different photo, right? Different and, uh, that's, that's a river, that one. That's the little uh, koala. That's medium sized koala there. Yeah, it's baby koala, medium koala right there. <laughs> That's a throwback, that one. Um, but I remember we get back to the hotel after that first game and I have all these notifications on uh, social media from people in Australia. They're like, since when are you called the big koala? And I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. No, n like no one has ever referred to me as the big koala. Well, the ESPN crew, Quint and Kark and those guys, when they're going around doing all their sort of pregame stuff, they must have been talking to some guys on the team. And uh, one of them must have fed him that, that nickname. And you can imagine, you, you got a, some American commentators who get to yell Big Koala on TV. They jumped on it like a absolute house fire. Um, and then as soon as that took off, I mean, I was just a kid at that stage. And you got, you know, people referring to you on ESPN as, as the Big Koala. There was no getting rid of it. So it was either adopted or just continue to bury my head in the sand. So I thought, hey, why not? I've, I've had worse than nicknames. <laughs> no koala tattoos though you, didn't, you haven't fully you haven't like you're not like wearing koala you know outfits or no 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 I'm, I'm fully on board now i'm fully on board i'm fully okay. on board i've got i've got koala t-shirts i got the whole deal love it love it embracing yeah. it i love it well we'll yeah. let you off the hook for the for the new nickname that the your your homework is you got to either come back on and give us your new nickname or you got to or you got to type it in uh, on the comments of this video that, that's the homework i think uh, i get i get a lot right so like aquaman and thor um well, especially now you're Hollywood, right? That's it, right? Yeah. If anyone needs an actor, come right in. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> an actor in Hollywood. Yeah, that's it. That's it, right? Uh, throw a front of, throw a camera in front of anyone's face. And they're uh, they're a movie star. Well, well Cal, I, I really appreciate you coming on, and you know you're slated to work our, our surf and lead our surf and lax camp late late in the summer. We're very hopeful and, and optimistic that you know by midsummer things will be getting back to, to somewhat normal. So. Really, uh, really looking forward to that, and, and it's just been just been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and hearing your story. And like I said, it's just so 
inspirational for kids out there that are from maybe not the biggest hotbed or who, you know, just, just look at lacrosse as, as an opportunity to see the world and do different things. So I really appreciate you spending some time and, uh, and good luck getting through your, through your two weeks so you can get back home and, and see mom and dad and brother. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mitch. And um, I've been watching you from afar for a long time, man. You were, um, you were one of the guys that I watched in the MLL from before I'd even jumped on a plane to come to the, um, come to the U.S. So, um, I, I, I've never told you that, but uh, I've been watching you from afar for a long time. So I'm a big fan. Appreciate you having me on. And um, I think something I leave uh, a lot of the kids that I coach with is, you know, I come from the city of Perth, Australia, uh, the most isolated city in the world. Uh, we don't have a lot of lacrosse, but I love the sport. I was passionate about it. Um, I continue to play it and, and, and things have a way of falling into place. I think for every kid out there, especially from non-traditional lacrosse hotbeds, if you love the sport, if you're passionate about it, just continue to play, just continue to work on your craft and, and things have a magical way of coming together um, at, at a pointy tip at the right time. So things, things will work out. Keep at it. I love, I love the game and uh, lacrosse has a magical way of loving you right back. Well said. Well said. Well, have a great, have a great quarantine and good luck and stay safe. Cheers, man. Peace.